of the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Here we go! Welcome to Panhandle Live on WEPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care, with a higher level of care, with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Online, too, at CountryRoadsTireOnline.com. Here are your hosts of the 2022 and 2023 WVBA Talk Show of the Year. Jordan Nicewarner and Marcia Kavalik. It is Thursday the 20th, and you're tuned in to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tarnado and broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Nicewarner. Alongside me is Marcia Kavalik. Good morning, Marcia. Good morning, Jordan. How are you? Doing all right. How are you? I'm good. You ready for the uh, well potential of some severe thunderstorms this afternoon? I just, you know what I heard from that forecast? Hmm. Pleasant weather for the weekend. Ooh. 83 degrees. That's all, Come that's, on all now. We, that's all we really look yeah, for, I'm right? Skipping right ahead. That's all we really look it's my for. My optimistic mind. Well, but I say that to give you and maybe Ed, if he's listening, a reminder to get that new car it into is, the garage. It's in the garage. Okay. <laughs> you don't and want him out there again in a, in a hailstorm. He hasn't nicknamed it yet, but he's called it baby a couple of times. But no, it, he yeah. hasn't. Yeah. Wow. How's it make you feel? He never calls me baby. <laughs> <laughs> So that's how I feel about hey, that. Hey, a man in his car, his new car, <laughs> convertible. Right. It's a special relationship, Marcia. Special relationship. I, I reckon. Mm. <laughs> well, a seamless uh, transition to our first sure, guest in absolutely. studio. <laughs> yes, joining us in studio, uh, friends of the program, from the Blue Ridge Community and Technical College, we have Chef and Chef. Uh, we have Steve Weiss, who's the Associate Dean and Chef Instructor, and Chef Miriam Conroy. Welcome in, guys. Thank yes, you. Thanks. Nice thanks to be you. Absolutely. So uh, let's get right into it. What's going on over at Blue Ridge CTC? Well, we have we have a bunch of Master Chef classes that's coming up very soon, um, and uh, we have uh, one of the classes that we have. I was just looking at it's uh, foods foods of Appalachia, or is it Appalachia? Ooh. How do you how do you it's, how Appalachia. Do, it's, it's Appalachia, Appalachia, or I'll throw Appalachia. it's Appalachia, <laughs> or I'll throw an Appalachia. See, because because I'm, I'm I'm a native New Yorker. Miriam's from across the pond, so mm. is that, but we actually have a, a native a native uh, West Virginia chef that's going to actually be teaching the class. Very cool. So, yeah, so we have that. We have a bunch of stuff. We have. Uh, uh, um, we have a pizza and grill class that's actually on our new patio. We have a, a terrace at our new main campus uh, in the back. We we built that out, and uh, uh, we're going to actually uh, have a class out there. We have a couple of functions and foundation functions out there. So if anybody's interested in in being a part of the college and uh, and uh, you know wanting to go into one of the foundation functions, that's that's an amazing uh, venue to go out. And, okay, and I have to stop though because when you mentioned Appalachian food, yeah. I'm making mm. guesses. But what I are? Know, that sounds so good. I mean, have they talked <laughs> okay. about what what the yeah. menu part of solutions? it is? Um, there's a really strong Scots Irish mm-hmm. yes um, t- that runs all the way down it. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of influence from that, and also uh, a lot of influence from what they found when they got here. Yeah. Right. So there's native plants that and and like uh, native proteins. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and also there was a strong Native American influence as well. Um, so that's all part of that that culture. But Appalachian, Appalachian, Appalachian. Appalachian. It's. Um, it's more of a cultural mm-hmm. thing than an actual cuisine, mm. right? Right. Gotcha. Um, so um, 
Gabby's really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a terrific class. Um, she's been busy doing a lot of research and um, getting her facts all straight. And I just think the history mm. that's involved in that is just, it's really what makes it fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah, mm. and it's nice to know the history of, of where, where food comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one of, one of the things that I made me fall in love with the food industry is the, the history behind things. You know, why Absolutely. does things you know? I think you'll find that um, I grew up in Scotland, in Glasgow. Uh, so some of the things that I ate growing up as a child are things that huh. 3,000 miles away you also ate growing up so, as a child. So what, were, what are some of those things? Okay, so like bannocks. Okay, never right? heard of that. You called them uh, <laughs> hoe cakes or... Oh, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the, the exact yep. same kind of thing. Ours would be made out of oats because that's mm-hmm. generally what we had. Right. And you would make yours out of corn. But the technique and how you eat them is, right. is the same way. Okay. I'm looking through here at uh, a list of Appalachian cuisine, and I see hoe cakes here. You got buckwheat pancakes, of course, pepperoni pepperoni roll, pride of place, right rolls. there at the yeah. top. West Virginia's contribution to the world. Say, did you uh, did you grow up eating pepperoni rolls like we did? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's pretty cool, and uh, I think that's what's so neat about all the different classes y'all have yeah. out there at Blue Ridge CTC is that there's really there's something for everybody. Yeah, you know, uh, and we, we, we just have a whole bunch. Like, you know, uh, Chef Miriam is our international cuisines, uh, you know, uh, you know, the green, the, the big, the big poobah of, of, yeah, of international yeah. cuisines here. And so she's going to do a Mexican class. So we, oh. we yeah, so we, we do uh, we do things like that. Uh, I do my cake decorating class, and there's always classes that we can't get rid of. Oh, we gosh, have, no. We have, um, Hall- we have our Halloween Halloween cupcakes um, class, yes, gingerbread our, class. And our high tea. Yes, and we have a high tea yeah. as well. Chef Jen. And it's, and, yeah. the high tea is so popular, we have one every semester. Yeah. So, so you know, I know the the uh, program has evolved. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you're offering a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there, there are always the standards, and it's, you know, it's a chef prep mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what takes someone from enjoying making food in the home kitchen and enjoying consuming it to saying, this might not be a bad career? Um, I would, Passion. Yeah. Passion, yeah. It's one word. It's passion. You've got to have that fire yeah. in your belly to like do Like you it. always yeah. want to be in the kitchen doing stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and it's part of it is, too, when I put a plate of food in front of somebody mm. and they eat it and they're like, wow, that's fantastic. I'm like, oh, well done. <laughs> that it, it, It's a joyful thing. For me, it is. Cooking is joyful. Right. Um, and you also have to be the type of personality that you enjoy serving other people. Yeah. You're not a servant, but you have that capacity for service, hmm. and um, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Too. Yeah, that's true. You know, it, it's uh, it's that's also it, it. It really uh, military folks transition well into food service because they're in the service of others, right. and, and as we are, we're in the hospitality industry. You know, we 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 see people, we have we communicate with them, we have customer service. You know, it's uh, it's just part of what we do, and you have to, like Chef Miriam says, you have to love food. Right. And, and, you love and it's food. a very disciplined um, profession as well, yeah. right? You're always on a deadline. doesn't matter what kind of food service you're yeah. in. You have to meet the clock. Mm. Now, so. I got to ask you kind of an off-topic question here, but you talk about, you know, in the food service industry, and you got to, you know, have that discipline. It can get a little fiery mm-hmm. in the uh, kitchen from time <laughs> to time. And there's a question for both of you, but more specifically you, uh, Chef Merriam. Now, you said you're from Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Now, my favorite chef of all time, is Gordon Ramsay. I think you should have said Steve. 
Right, well, it's and Miriam. Now, unfortunately, Steve, he's going to take the top spot I, over I, you. I'm, I bow to Governor Gordon as well. So, so have you ever you ever met Gordon? I have not oh. met Gordon. You know, funnily enough, um, well, first of all, his family moved away when he right. was a little boy, right? That's why he speaks like a Ponzi Englishman and does not have a true Scottish accent. <laughs> wow. So let's Throwing just the get... shade out yeah. this early in it. the morning. It's That's not even it. 9.30. But... Um, but yeah, he's an amazing chef. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, right? Because it, all of these, um, the screaming and the yelling, right, that he's known for, right? Um, the man has three Michelin star restaurants. Yeah. He has a team that he has worked with for years and years and years, right? You don't get that if you behave that way with people mm-hmm. all the time, yeah. right? It's not to say that you can't... Um, get a little loud sometimes in the yeah. kitchen. Yep. You got to. Uh, I have to admit that Miriam is our Gordon Ramsay. Oh, oh no. wow. With a better English accent. Scottish accent. Scottish accent. I stand corrected. Yeah. I do. I, I, look, you're training people to young, generally young, although we have a, a fairly mixed age group um, at, at the college. But you're training them to go into a professional situation. They have Mm -hmm. to handle themselves in a professional situation, right? If the first time they go into a professional kitchen and get yelled at, and they're like tears and whatever, Mm -hmm. no. Can't work in that. We don't want them to fall apart. Right. What we do is we we want them to be workplace ready. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, And there are different chefs that they're exposed to that are light, medium, and heavy. Right. Wow. And, and and we need we need them to see all types of personalities and ex- get exposed to that. Uh, the last thing you need to do is have someone shell shocked when you yeah. walk in the door. Yeah, and it's not personal. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's and if you mess up in the kitchen, what's going to happen? Nobody's going to take away your birthday, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's going to die on the operating table. But you have to know how to fix things, right? And you have to be able to right. keep your cool and. And get it done. And, Those and, soft and, skills. And, and yeah, and what Chef Miriam teaches in the class, like like all instructors, but but uh, more so, I think, uh, in hot foods, because in, in a la carte preparation, you have to do things a la minute, which you mm-hmm. have to do things right away. As you order it, it has to be done and be served fresh. Um, one of the biggest uh, uh, things that, that uh, employers come to me about is a sense of urgency. And you need to instill that in students. And mm-hmm. if we can't start the process of that, that's that's something that we have to do. Yeah, so it's a it's a high stress job. I mean, you yeah. think you're you're putting out essentially a piece of artwork each and every table, each and every customer that's there, and it has to be within those you know specified parameters. Because right. at the bottom line of it, I mean, it's a business, yeah. right? You're yeah. looking to make a little money, and if people yeah. don't like the food, you're not making the money. Yeah, yeah, and we want to be we want to be the farm club of of the employers in the area, food service employers. We want them to come to us and say, hey, look, you know, do you have students? And we want to transition students into those jobs that are out there. And, and they're great jobs. And there's a lot of jobs out there now. What kinds of jobs in food service? I mean, not everyone could be the chef. Uh, well, I mean, you know, there's there's a quite a considerable amount of, of individuals over the past couple of years that have decided to hang their toques up, hang, hang their, their hats and their jackets and just retire. And there's a lot of positions just haven't been open. And there's more restaurants that have been opened. Uh, throughout that process and they're they need people they need any qualified uh, talented individuals to come in and not only work as a as a service or a line employee but as a manager and uh, that's a big deficiency right. right now so when a student comes out of our program they are ready to go into a kitchen and function with a team right they understand that they are part of a team 
Um, for instance, we get comments all the time because our students go in, they have a notebook, mm -hmm. right? They're prepared. They understand they're going to have to listen to what the chef says. They know how to, um, we have, we call them CPLs and master task and timelines. So whatever they're doing, they understand that it all has to make, come in order and make sense mm -hmm. and, and be done. Right. So that's a really big advantage. Sometimes people say, well, why should I go to culinary school? Right. I can just go into a kitchen and I can learn. And that's true. You can. But you can only learn what that one chef or that one team is willing to share with you. Right. Doesn't make you as well rounded as it you need to be. It does not. Right. You come to us, you learn the language of the kitchen because there is a language. Mm -hmm. Right. You learn technique. You learn methodology ingredients, grow your palate, mm -hmm. right? All of that is part of the training that we provide to our students, yeah. right? And they learn how to function within the kitchen atmosphere and within the kitchen operation, mm -hmm. right? Um, all of our students have to go through what we call our Bruin Lab, where they work in the cafes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mm -hmm. fantastic experience for them, right? Because that's where they're learning mm -hmm. customer service. That's where they're learning how that timetable works. Mm -hmm. um, and also their safety, sanitation, yep. just those basic things. The, the biggest part of being a chef and being working in a kitchen is that safety and sanitation. Mm -hmm. Your number one rule is do not make people sick. Right. right. Yeah. Of course. That makes sense. Yeah. And are you giving them feedback real time when they're oh, yes. doing these exercises? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Critical feedback is 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 paramount in, yeah. in, in training training students to, to do the right thing. And we, we deal with best practice. So. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well sometimes the restaurant is on wheels. Yeah. Talk about the food truck. <laughs> yeah, so you know we're we're lucky we're lucky as a as a, you know Blue Ridge Community Technical College's is a institution to have a food truck that's a mobile kitchen lab. It really is was mm -hmm. what it is, and uh, uh, you know it, it it really shows the students that that you don't necessarily need to be a destination. Mm -hmm. You can take the destination to the people. So uh, it's a different way of of doing business that we're exposing students to. So how much different, I mean, of course, excluding the obvious factors of not being in a set kitchen and that kitchen is now mobile, but what are the parallels between, you know, working in a kitchen as opposed to working in a food truck? Are they fairly similar? Just the only thing is that it's smaller and you're mobile? There you go. Yeah. 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 And yeah. you're limited to what you can do. Right. I mean, it's, it's not, you can't do everything that you're familiar with, but, but it's, uh, you plan your menu out mm -hmm. and you, you execute yeah. it. I think the, um, most food trucks have one or two signature dishes, right? That they always have, that they're known for, and that's what people go to them for. And then you can gradually add or delete as, as you know, you're selling and you're, you're seeing what sells well. Right. Right. But, mm -hmm. but that's, most food trucks do that. They have maybe one or two or three signature dishes. And that's where the bulk of their, their business comes from. That's what you go for. We talk about Blue Ridge's uh, partnerships with the area industry all the time because mm. uh, they, obviously there's a nexus there. You can train them to be job ready. But uh, one of the lovely partnerships is that you take that food truck out to one of our newer industries. Yeah, you know, it's 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 great to to have some exposure with uh, with our local partners. And, uh, you know, we go there and, you know, they love the food. Uh, and uh, even, even after staying with us for a period of time to get to get their business started and, and uh, ingrained in West Virginia in our area here um, uh, they continue to uh, 
to to call us and ask us, you know, can you do this? Can you help us with this? Can you well, do catering? Well, of course catering? they do. We're that good. Yeah, and that, yeah. And that's Clorox you're talking about, or or yeah. industries and Clorox, in Macy's, PNG. I mean, they're they're you know we 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 continue the partnership above and beyond after after they move into their facility. Yeah. So, um, talking about the podcasts. Yeah, so <laughs> you guys are all over the place. Yeah, you know, we 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 were opposed. We we were asked to to say, hey, you know, we're going to be doing some podcasts, and so Miriam and I kind of uh, fell into it to a point, and we we said, you know, we're going to we're going to do this, and we went around and we we talked about titles, and we ended up uh, with uh, what's brewing at the Academy Brewing, meaning uh, the B R U I N, which is the bear. Right. Our, our bear logo, yeah, yeah, yeah. clever, yeah. right? So, uh, and we've been doing podcasts. Uh, we have seven so far, we and do. we invite industry professionals, uh, foodies, to come in and talk about uh, students. Students, actually, yeah, students and faculty to talk yep. about what mm-hmm. we do. So we're a college, you know, we we definitely want to have the educational component in it. But you know, we we've broken it up into segments. We do uh, a food on film or food documentary. We talk arts. about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talk about uh, we we have a, a segment called Into the Dish Pit where we talk about food safety and, mm. and, and how to do things like that. And what's what's some of the we other? We have a recipe. A recipe, of the, a recipe of the week. We have a recipe, yep. And um, we generally have uh, show notes, mm-hmm. yeah. which you all yeah. know yeah. about. And links, so yeah, yeah, show notes and, and links. links to different yeah. things that we do. And, and we then we have about. a main a main person that comes in, and we, we talk to that main person for a period of time. And it, it runs about 30 minutes to 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Any, any podcast, it just varies. It's never the same every time you do it. And uh, it's yeah, we think it's very entertaining, and it, and what it does is it help it really helps us with our community outreach and gives right. someone something to do. And we always say that if you're gonna if you're going to uh, walk, take a walk or a, bra- a brief run for thirty minutes or so, you know, listen to the podcast. And, it's, and we try to make it entertaining. <laughs> we do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we're a good combination. You know, yeah, Miriam has a so. nice voice on on uh, on radio, and uh, you know. Yeah, I have the voice for radio. And I, and I, and I, I struggle <laughs> through it. The so. face for radio. That's yeah, say, I'm, if I had yeah. a dollar for every time I've heard that, I'd have a face for radio. Uh, but it's it's impressive how you uh, you kind of made this accessible to everybody, whether it's podcast yeah. form or you got all these different classes, Appalachian classes, you know, international cooking, cake and bread and all kinds of things. I mean, right. uh, the amount of stuff you're doing over there is very impressive. And uh, what type of person are you looking for? to do one of these classes, whether it's culinary school or whether it's, you know, just a, a Appalachian cooking class. I mean, is that yeah. just anybody that's open and willing to I'll take learn? I'll the MasterChef classes. Yeah. You take the um, culinary right. classes. Yeah. So yeah. MasterChef classes are open to the public. They're open yeah. to anybody that wants to come and um, just participate yeah. in a class. Yeah. Yeah. They generally last about two hours. And uh, you'll normally do maybe two or three to four recipes. Um I tend to be a bit of an overachiever, so I usually like plan a whole meal. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then the chefs will talk to you about uh, technique. They'll, we have students who come in and help as well, and that gives them the opportunity to stand in front of people, right? Because so much of this job now, you're really part of the entertainment industry, right? Mm-hmm. You have to be able to open kitchens. You have to be able to talk in front of people. Mm-hmm. And it's a great primer for our students to get in and see how that works and participate and do that. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, as far as the degree-seeking degree students are concerned, I mean, it, you have to have uh, a love of food, and you have to have uh, a love to be in the service of others. I mean, that's – that's you need to be passionate about what you do. Um you know, uh, uh, money is always in the in the forefront as well. When students come in, you know, how much money can I make? And mm-hmm. and you know, you can make an hourly salary, or you can make 
uh, a huge salary, or you can be a business owner and make even more. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's up to you to make that determination on where you want to be. And the sky's the limit really. Yeah. Yeah, we're speaking with uh, Chef Steve Weiss and Chef uh, Miriam Conroy from Blue Ridge CTC. I got one more question for each of you before uh, we let you all go. Mm-hmm. We'll start with Steve. So yeah. when are we going to see you on TV, on Netflix, uh, anytime okay. soon again? Well, uh, uh, you know, as the the season two is just launched on Is It Cake? So there's folks that are watching that. And I'm, I'm still on season one. <laughs> and uh, so you, know, you can always go that as soon as, as long as Netflix continues to do series, we'll all, well, you know, be on there. <laughs> for for however long it takes, um, you know, I, I I recently actually got got a phone call from two casting directors about shows um, recently that um, um, that actually turned down. No way. So uh, you you periodically, you know, I, it took me um, five years to do uh, the Halloween War show. I was I took a five year hiatus, and then there is a cake. I think it was like a two year hiatus. So you, you want to pick good projects, mm-hmm. and and um, uh, I'm always on the lookout for good projects. And and uh, if I just don't feel in my gut that it's right for me to do, I just won't do it. And I'll sit it out until something else comes along. But yeah, something probably down the road. But but right now I'm just sitting it sitting it out. It's Let always, us know. It's always one of my favorite flexes with my friends if uh, they're talking about Is a King. It's like, hey, you see Steve on there? My yeah. buddy. My there buddy you Steve. Go, there you go. <laughs> and then uh, well, Chef Miriam again. You're from uh, Glasgow, from Scotland originally. And when you said that at the beginning of the interview, I saw Luke Wiggs over there in the news studio his head popped up because he's a big scottish football fan so do you are you do you support any teams in particular are you a football fan in general okay so in glasgow you've got glasgow rangers of course and glasgow celtic Mm -hmm. right um and then you've got this tiny wee team from mary hill say if you say the team name that i know he's wanting you to say he's gonna freak out over there so we'll see partick thistle not it. Not it. I was, he, was, he was looking for Kilmarnock over there. Uh, but Kilmarnock's not really in Glasgow anyway. True. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Yeah. So but, can you can you land, can you you land? pick one? Do you have a team? No. Well, the team, my brother used to play for it when I was a little girl. So um, so Partick Thistle, if I'm going to go to a football match, yeah. that's where I'm going to go. Very it's a cool. small stadium and it's, you know. That's one thing that's missing over here in the States. And what is football? Soccer. Oh, okay. it's called soccer. I'm not here. sure. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, Steve. <laughs> well, thank you all for stopping in. It's always great to chat and uh, hear about all the amazing things you're doing over at Blue Ridge CTC. And if you missed any of this conversation, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. But thank you all for stopping in. Thank you thanks. for having us. Thanks, thanks. Absolutely. We'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Live. Here are your hosts, Jordan Nicewarner and Marsha Kavalik. Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto and broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. Jordan Icewinner alongside me is March Kavalik. If you missed any of the show so far, you can listen back to it a little bit later on on our Panhandle News Network Facebook and Spotify page. We got things started with Steve Weiss and uh, Chef Mariam from Blue Ridge CTC talking about their Master Chef programs, their culinary arts programs, and food trucks, podcast. podcasts. I mean, my goodness, <laughs> they got they're they're doing it all over at Blue Ridge CTC. So if you missed that conversation, they can listen back to it, or you can listen back to it. As we've already well, or Marsha might I be listening back do. to it too. <laughs> hey, you know what? You have to listen to something when you're and doing sure, the housework, sure, right? Sure, sure. But uh, if you missed that, you can listen back to it a little bit later on today. Marsha, our next guest is joining us on the phone. That's right, Chief of Orthopedics for WVU Medicine East, Berkeley Medical Center, Jefferson Medical Center. Brad Wright joins us via phone. Welcome in. Thank you. Thanks for coming or calling in. Um, so you guys had a huge announcement uh, recently. I know we've had a robot-assisted surgery at the campuses there 
but uh, specifically now for orthopedics, hips and knees. So talk about that. Well, we've uh, got a system, a robotic system, to do hip and knee replacement surgery. And we've had the, uh, it's called a ROSA, R-O-S-A system. And we've had this uh, robot at Jefferson in Ranson for about three or four years now just doing knee replacements. But now we've got a second um, robot up at uh, Berkeley Medical Center, and we also now are able to do hip replacement surgery with the robot, which we weren't able to do previously. So when you say robot, what does that mean? Because we're picturing something. Yeah, I'm picturing okay. a, a robot doctor walking in yeah, with a little hat. What it is, it's a machine that you can roll it into, the, uh, into surgery, and it's actually a giant computer. And what we do is we take measurements uh, with x-ray, and uh, they're very specific measurements of the hip or the knee, and what we do is we then take that data and we send it to a uh, lab uh, where um, a number of uh, engineers then transfer that over into information that can be used by the robot. And they send, a, they send it back to us uh, formatted for the computer in the robot. And then when we actually do the surgery, uh, we have an infrared tracking system that we mount to the patient, and that is picked up by the uh, by the the robot. And what happens is it um, then takes the information that it, it has from the engineers, and it, it it matches that up to what we are seeing in the operating room. And it allows us, and it's got a a, a device where we can actually make uh, cuts on the bone very precisely within about a millimeter or a degree. And so it gives us very, very precise placement of the, uh, of the joint replacement implants. And so that translates over to uh, much better function, decreased pain, and uh, it allows us to be much more precise with our surgeries. Which allows for quicker recovery, I, I imagine. Yeah, it does. And we're actually doing all of our hip and knee replacements now, pretty much all of them as outpatients. So they, um, when they go make it to the recovery room, then the physical therapists are actually right there, and they take the uh, patient and they run them through their paces um, right there in the recovery room. Like that seems really quick. It is very quick. Why? Why do you guys do that? It seems a little mean. Well, a couple of things. One, we we're doing things with uh, more precise incisions. We. Um, particularly in the hip, we have much smaller incisions that we are able to um, work through where we're not really going through uh, muscle or tendon as much as we are going around it. And um, the uh, we've got better anesthesia techniques now also. We, we have anesthetics that we will give to the patient in surgery around the joints that help to accelerate their decreases the pain and accelerates their recovery. We also have new, um, uh, the, you know, I said the therapy starts there in the recovery room, but it uh, we have arrangements made so the therapists literally are at the house the next day and they work with the patients at home for the first three to four weeks 
um, before we start then outpatient therapy. So what's the window of recovery typically? And I, I know you can't make a blanket statement that mm-hmm. applies to everyone, but for a hip or a knee replacement, how many weeks are, is someone going to be kind of sidelined? Well, it, it's different for each one. The hips generally, and again, I'm speaking generalities here, the hips generally recover really fast. Um, they're up and, and moving, and the, the pain um, relief is, and again, I'm just talking generalities, is usually pretty pretty substantial within the first uh, couple of weeks, so to speak. Um, with knees, it's a little bit, more problematic. They just they, they take a lot more re, uh, rehab, and uh, they're a little more painful. But even so, within about three to four weeks, they're doing extremely well too. So our guest this morning is Brad Wright, Chief of Orthopedics for WV Medicine East, Berkeley Medical Center, Jefferson Medical Center. Anecdotally, it sounds as I've I've heard so many people say that they've needed to go in for particularly knee replacements lately. Mm-hmm. Is that because of the pandemic? Is there anything that you can tie, like, because people just didn't see their doctors, they put things off, or is there anything related to COVID that makes people more susceptible to uh, knee issues? Um, you know, it's a good question. I, I don't have a really good answer for it. It seems that it's more related to the fact that individuals like myself, I'm in my 60s, that we're just breaking down. <laughs> and uh, and the other challenge is that those of us who were baby boomers, um, you know, we were used to living an active lifestyle. And one of one of the things that is pushing a lot of this technology is the fact that as a person in their 60s, you know, like, I want to stay active. I want to do things. And, and yeah, I've got arthritis, but uh, um, I want to still be able to live a meaningful life and an active life. And um, so my cohort, if you will, the individuals, the baby boomers, um, are a much more demanding of an active lifestyle um, and uh, a Part of the reason they're there in the first place is because they've been so active that they've kind of worn things down a little bit. But um, but th- I think that's part of it. The COVID question, I you know I can't say yay or nay on it, but I think it's more just uh, the effects of time. So uh, you know when I talk to folks who've had a knee or hip replacement and and that that uh, my friend circle getting bigger in that regard, but they always say they wish they had done it sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 are the telltale signs that you really need to talk to someone about your knee or your hip? Okay. One of the biggest is pain. Um, and in the hip, it's pain mostly in the groin area, that uh, in the front of the hip joint, that is more of a telltale sign that, that they have significant arthritis in the hip joint. With the knee, um, mostly it's pain usually on the inside part of the knee um, with uh when, and especially if somebody starts showing a little bit of a deformity, either a knock knee deformity or a, a bow leg deformity, and they notice they can't straighten their knee out as much as they used to or flex it as much as they used to. Those are kind of signs and symptoms that, that you ought to be looked at to, to see if if you might be a good candidate for a hip or knee replacement. And the other thing I'd say is that the technology of the implants themselves has, has just has gone forward in leaps and bounds, particularly with the plastic materials that we use um, 
in the hip socket and also in the knee on the kneecap and the um, uh, and we have an insert that goes in on the on the, snaps into the metal part on the bottom. Those plastics, uh, they've done tremendous work scientifically with those plastics to strengthen them, so that you don't they don't wear as much as they used to. And the design of the implants has taken great uh, leaps forward, uh, so that they are much more patient specific than they used to be. We're speaking with Brad White, Brad Wright, Chief of Orthopedics for WVU Medicine, East Berkeley Medical Center, Jefferson Medical Center. And while we got you, uh, I'll ask you this. Now, I'm in my early 30s, I guess I could really say. Really early played, 30s. <laughs> played sports my whole life, you know, uh, hit growth spurts at weird times and everything. So my knees have always been a little bit, uh, I, I always like to refer to them as dodgy, right? I'll get up mm-hmm. and they'll pop and they'll snap and they'll do different things. So should I start thinking about maybe getting my knees checked out or is that just kind of normal wear and tear growth type of stuff? Um, I, I, I think the answer to that, both questions is yes. I mean, it, it never hurts to have them looked at. Um, but I think that, um, that it is probably associated more with just the, you know, uh, being active and mm-hmm. stuff, particularly in your 20s and 30s. And uh, the other thing that, that we emphasize, too, is weight control when you're younger is really critical because, um, if you look at the knee, for example, just normal activities of, of, of daily living, as we call it, they, uh, you'll put four to six times your body weight across your knee joints. And with the hip, just going from a sitting to a standing position, you put two and a half times your body weight across the knee joint if you do the physics and do the math. Hmm. And so because of that, those numbers can get pretty big. And one of the best things you can do is, one, maintain an active lifestyle when you're young, and two, make sure that you uh, do everything you can to uh, uh, to stay lean and not to put additional stresses on those on those joints. Well, again, we're speaking with Brad Wright, Chief of Orthopedics for WVU Medicine East. Unfortunately, we have to get into our uh, next break here in just a few minutes, so we got to let you go. But thank you for stopping in and chatting with us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks. And that's Brad Wright, Chief of Orthopedics for WVU Medicine East, Berkeley Medical Center, Jefferson Medical Center. And before we get to that break, Marsha, let's hit a quick news recap. Okay, so this is just going to be the headlines. Okay. You can go over to panhandlenewsnetwork.com and read the stories. But uh, lots going on. A Harper's Ferry man who uh, has worked as a jockey at uh, Charlestown Races uh, was arrested by the feds for a murder out of Baltimore County. Goodness. There were two co-conspirators. Um, and so I'm not sure about the details about what his involvement was in that but the charges, all of that are laid out because the U.S. Marshals put that press release out. Uh, an elderly Charlestown man was defrauded of more than $2 million. He had dementia, and uh, a couple, uh, specifically the man and the couple, in, uh, de- uh, befriended him, mm-hmm. became uh, his power of attorney, and uh, they ran through, allegedly, uh, more than $2 million of this gentleman's money, and uh, the article is up there. Uh, both of those uh, in the couple, the married couple, are now facing federal charges. Goodness. Also, um, really hyper-local, Morgan County Assessor uh, Debbie Weaver is explaining why your uh, vehicle taxes may be a little higher. has to do with the pandemic, has to do with the valuations. Uh, that article is up at panhandlenewsnetwork.com. Absolutely. And we got to get to this break. We'll be back after this on WPM and WCST, the Panhandle News Network. Taking local stories and sharing them with the four state. This is Panhandle Live with hosts Jordan Nice Warner and Marsha Kavalik. 
Welcome back to Panhandle Live, driven by Country Roads Tire and Auto. I'm broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. I'm Jordan Icewinner. Alongside me is Marsh Kavalik, and Marsha, alongside you, is our next guest. You never know who's going to show you up on Panhandle Live. You never know who's going to knock on the door. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Stewart is a former uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District in West Virginia and a U.S. or West Virginia senator. He has uh, announced that he's running for attorney general for the great state of West Virginia. Welcome in. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Thanks for being on. So, uh, so why now? Well, I mean, we've got the current attorney general who's decided to run for governor. Uh, he's been a very aggressive, very direct attorney general. Uh, and it's important we continue that work. And so I was blessed. I've had a great career. I'm a kid who grew up in the coal fields of West Virginia. My dad's 51-year coal miner. Mm. Where are you from? I'm originally from Barber County, raised in Morgantown, a wife from Fairmont, and I've spent 25 years in Charleston, and I represent Lincoln, Logan, and Boone Man, County. you are so a West, West Virginia boy. I'm West Virginia, and I've got family in uh, Innswood, area, go. Inwood right here. And, oh, wow, okay. Uh, but but uh, let, let me say this, that, that uh, I'm running for attorney general because unlike any time in our history, right, this division in our country that I hate— uh, but listen, uh, we need somebody who is a very clear leader, who knows how to do it, who's been there. I was built to be the U.S. attorney. I prosecuted two members of the state Supreme Court, a Republican, a Democrat. I'm a bipartisan corruption buster. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I had a big record. Operation Saigon Sunset, 250 law enforcement officers targeting 100 folks uh, to take down those drug fiends in places like Huntington. Uh, But why am I running? Because I carry a wallet in my pocket. All those stats, I had big records as U.S. attorney, uh, nominated by an American president, confirmed by the United States Senate. I worked hard every day, excited to do that job. But more important than those stats is the wallet I carry in my pocket uh, with the faces of the victims of the opiate crisis. And I can tell you the story, and you can see this wallet. It is filled Mm -hmm. with faces. And the moms and dads that I had to embrace during the point of their greatest grief, these are the pictures that haunt me in the dark of night. This is Victoria Douglas, uh, Joel Archer. Uh, They're moms and dads that I uh, will forever be friends with under the worst of circumstances. I feel it is the job of the next attorney general to continue this fight. Uh, We have that first fund uh, but I want to be the champion in chief of fighting this drug scourge and epidemic that too many people believe we've lost. Uh, but we need to make sure the next attorney general continues the work of Patrick Morrissey mm-hmm. and also continues on federal overreach. They, well, you mentioned there, um, uh, Attorney General Morrissey, his main one of his big time goals was going after the opioid crisis and the different you know big businesses that are around that. Uh, and you said you need uh, Attorney General that's uh, got some fire behind him to go after some of these guys. And I mean, just from what you said there, it sounds like it. But is that one of your main goals as well? Once if you if and when you get into you know the West Virginia Attorney General, is to go back after those opioid companies and try to work that situation back out. We're going to examine every avenue possible to get every dollar we can to try to deal with this epidemic. So I'm somebody who believes in second chances and redemption. We have communities that are suffering, moms, dads. There's not a person in West Virginia not impacted by this drug scourge. But there are two categories, right? Where those folks, we want to give help. We want substance abuse and treatment. We want them to get back to being productive citizens. But there's also drug dealers and poison peddlers. I'm not a -a hug-a-thug type of guy. And so I ran ads on your network in the last election when I won a state Senate seat I was supposed to lose. We won by 20%. I ran ads that said, know my solution to prison overcrowding? Build another prison. And I would knock on doors and people would be like, I agree with what you're saying here. 
This idea of a revolving door, I'm not for it. If you see what happened, one other picture I have in my wallet is a sticker that a state police trooper gave me when I was in Logan not long ago. And it's of Sergeant uh, Maynard. Sergeant Maynard was killed in the line of duty. He was ambushed by this thug in Mingo County. Heck, we just have another officer who was shot in the elbow a couple days ago. In Raleigh County. This is happening too frequently in West Virginia. I have proposed it is time for us to reconsider the death penalty. That case in Mingo County is a perfect example. He was ambushed as he was dying on the field, on the ground. This fiend walked up with the butt of his rifle hit him so hard it busted the butt of the rifle. I don't think the the death penalty should be used willy-nilly, but it needs to be on the table. Perhaps we never use it physically, but we need to do everything we can to deter and support, deter these crimes and support law enforcement. You look at the Eastern Panhandle here, we need more law enforcement officers, and we've got a real challenge with recruiting and retaining law enforcement officers I will soon be calling for what I call the GI Bill for first responders in West Virginia, where we provide to moms and dads, women and men who go into the first responder business, fire, EMS, police, uh, child care benefits, help in getting that home, uh, which is just out of reach for folks with the salaries that they make, and educational benefits and uh, in child care. So I think these are things that are important for us to talk about. I intend to be a leader for West Virginia and a strong attorney general. And as I said, go to make, I haven't said it yet, <laughs> but makewvgreatagain.com. I've endorsed President Trump. I appreciate his confidence in me in becoming the U.S. attorney, and we did a great job there. Uh, but uh, I just urge everybody, go to my website, learn about me. I'm going to be, I'm a fighter, and I need people to fight for me. Mike Stewart is our guest. He's running for attorney general in West Virginia. So, uh, you know, we we have uh, the current attorney general, Patrick Morrissey, on once a month, and we uh, chat with him about some of his efforts. And one of uh, the the bigger tools that he tends to implement is these uh, multi-state coalitions with other attorneys general. Um, So do you feel as though you'd have a good working uh, relationship? And in your mind, what... uh, goals would you have in utilizing those what's what national um topics would you would you go after so this is just a great question i know you didn't i was going to stop by this morning i appreciate the time to be able to speak to your listeners i don't think there's anything more important than working across border right outside west virginia i have a great being a former u.s attorney my networks across the country are strong i was just in nashville where i actually was on a panel think of this as a state senator (laughs) with the Attorney General of Florida, the Attorney General of Iowa, the Attorney General of Kansas, and the former United States Attorney General, Matt Whitaker, who's endorsed my campaign. We intend to work, and I always believe this. I rebuilt the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District. And what did I do? I recruited the best and brightest from across the country, from California, North Dakota, Massachusetts, Florida, and on and on and on. I built the best law firm, you could say, in the entire state within the U.S. Attorney's Office. I intend to do the same thing as Attorney General, which is bring in the best and brightest work across the country. And I say this, a federal suit filed by this Attorney General, or Patrick Morrissey, uh, is every bit as powerful and important as a federal lawsuit filed in Colorado, Nevada, or California. I know how this is done. I've worked on the federal level. I had a big record. And we will do the same thing as Attorney General. 
I'm not going to be the type of guy who falls prey to lobbyists and those folks who try to direct me in a certain way. We're going to fight for the people of West Virginia. It's that upbringing that uh, made me fight for every opportunity. And we're going to do the same thing in that office. I just need people's support. So uh, you've got an event in the Panhandle this weekend? We do. this week? Well, I I appreciate you bringing that up because I'm great at getting on these shows and never talking about promoting my campaign. But at Black Draft Farm and Distillery tomorrow at 5 o'clock, 5 to 6.30, just a meet and greet. Very simple. Nothing fancy. But I want to meet as many people as I can. And I, I believe in moms and dads and families. I don't want this to be sort of that industrial lobbyist, consultant-driven campaign. I'm fighting for West Virginia, and so I want West Virginians to fight with me. And so join me tomorrow night. Well, before we uh, get to well, you talked about Hoppy and Talkline, that's coming up here at 10 o'clock. So before we have to get off the air for that, let people know one more time where to go to get in touch with you, find out everything they need to, or just contact information in general. Sure, it's Mike Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T. I don't care how you spell it, but you got to be able to find me. And it's MakeWVGreatAgain.com, MakeWVGreatAgain.com. And uh, please go there, join our effort, and let's really make this a groundswell to continue the efforts of the uh, current Attorney General and be strong in that office for West Virginia. Well, sir, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, definitely not expected to drop in, but very cool to drop in nonetheless. So thanks for stopping in. I love in. your network. I love well, your thank network. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. Marsha, we got just about a minute left. So anything else uh, news-wise or anything you want people to know about? Just go over to panhandlenewsnetwork.com for those stories we talked about. And, of course, you're going to be in Hagerstown at noon today. <laughs> yeah, we'll see if it's the uh, the diesel dogs, the tin lizards, the battle swans, or what was the other one? The haymakers, who comes up as the new team name battle for swans. the— the Hagerstown baseball team. Yeah, I'm rooting for the battle. Don't disappoint well. me, Hagerstown. I'm rooting for that. But uh, over on PainHandleNewsNetwork.com, you'll be able to find that article a little bit later on today. But for Marsha, I'm Jordan. This has been Panhandle Live. Have a good one. We will talk to you tomorrow. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.